And I'm so glad that you're here. Look at the person next to you and say, he's glad we're here. Go ahead and tell him that right now. And I want to welcome those worshiping with us online today. Glad that you're there and watching us here. And I wish I could see you too. I miss you, but, but I know you're with me, okay, in spirit, so that's good. So listen, we've got this new series we started last week, and it's all about Jesus, and it's all about faith, and we're talking about getting our faith filled up, and so this week we're going to continue that, and there are basically five things that people mention when you ask them, tell me about your faith story. Over time, there's five things that they will mention, one of those five things, maybe all of those five things. Last week, we talked about the first one, and that was what? We received the benediction. That was practical teaching. Say that with me. Practical teaching. In other words, I've read the Bible. You know, I understand. But now you gave me practical application. Now I know what to do with it, right? And today we're going to be talking about personal ministry. Now here's what I want us to see. Jesus only had three years in his ministry, right? Three years, and that was all he had. And so he calls these disciples together, and he just gets them from wherever he calls them. And now he says, you know what? I have got to really speed up the discipleship process. So I'm going to push them into things they've never done before. And the reason is, when they step out on faith, and then I come alongside them and help them, then they're going to have a victory, and they're going to see how we work well together. And so he's constantly challenging them to do something new, something outside their comfort zone. And guess what? It doesn't stop with the original disciples. He's looking at you and me today, too. And he's saying, this applies to you. What's going on in your life? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and serve me? So he, he chose Peter and Andrew and James and John. And in Matthew, it says, he says this, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, it's interesting that he would say that because they're fishermen and they've been out fishing all night and they haven't caught a thing. They're not very good, are they? I mean, this is their livelihood. Nothing. Zippo. Because that's the way it is with fishing sometimes. It doesn't work. But he says, listen, I'll teach you how to fish for people. You come spend time with me. And then together he casts a vision and he goes on in John. Pharaoh was talking about John. He talks about John. Very truly, I tell you. Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I'm sure that the disciples are sitting there listening to him, and they're saying, no, we're not. We can't do greater things than you. Hello, you're Jesus. We, we, we don't even know what. We can't even fish. We can't even catch fish. Now you're going to teach us how to catch people. We, we don't know how to do greater things than you. And yet he's pushing them he's, because he knows their faith will grow. And the best example of Jesus' instruction is in the story where he's teaching thousands of people. And they're sitting down. He's got this multitude of people there. And he's been preaching. And, you know, it's almost like he was preaching a whole series in one day, right? And they're tired and they're hungry. And the disciples are tired and hungry. But they're not going to say that to Jesus. They're going to go to Jesus and they're going to say, listen, I know that you're, you're thinking about it. but here, And we really enjoy this series you're preaching all in one day. 
But I just want to point out that the people, the people are tired and hungry, so we might want to send them away. We might want to wrap things up so we can send them away so that they can get something to eat. In fact, it says this, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus then stares at the crowd and he smiles at the apostles. And then he says something interesting. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. What if he'd said that to you? There's thousands of people here. There's no, we can't go down here to the 7-Eleven. You know, there's no Tom Thumb around. What are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Now, we'll get back to that story in just a minute. Stay with me, okay? Because Jesus has an agenda for us. And that is that we would be people of faith. And our faith would be active and all in and gritty and daily and relational. And it would be the kind of faith that is in the thick of things faith. In other words, it's not just that we believe, it's that we're going to do something with what we believe. Because Jesus's initial invitation was always the same. What did Jesus say? Two words, follow me. It was real simple. Follow me. Now listen, you can't follow Jesus and do nothing. Do you hear me? You have, that's active. You've got to step out. You've got to respond to what he's calling you to do. Even if it's something you've never done before, probably is something that you've never done before. Because here's what happened. The church unintentionally has changed the invitation of Jesus from follow me to believe in me. Believe in me, because that's so much easier, and it's safer, and there's no risk involved, and you don't have to change, and, and we're afraid to really challenge you, so we're just going to say, eh, believe in me. And Jesus said, yeah, I want you to believe in me, but it does not stop there, and that's why he invited people to follow him, to live a life that reflected their big, bold confidence in God. So you may not have confidence in yourself, but you can have confidence in God. And God can do anything. And guess what? He lets you participate in the process. And so he invited people to live a life that displayed their confidence in God. Because he said trust, see, would be the thing. And that would be the currency that we would use in our relationship with him. We're going to trust him. And that's going to give us confidence, and we're going to have a victory, and our faith is going to grow, and we're going to trust him even more. God is most honored by living, active, here and now faith. And in this series, we're asking the question, what fuels or facilitates the development of our enduring faith? What's it going to take? Now, we said when people tell their faith story, one of the first things they're going to mention probably is they had practical teaching. Because you can know about God, you can believe in God, but you can't do anything with your faith if you don't have practical application. I got these Bibles I give out, and I've given them to children and youth and adults for years and years and years. And the reason is because they're really simple. You go to the first part, and it says, how do I read the book? And it tells you, and there's paragraphs about all that. 
that. And you read that. And then it says, okay, when I want to read a scripture about anxiety, where is it? And it tells you anxiety right here. And it tells you the page number. What about anger? What about fear? Hey, where's the story of the flood in the Bible? It's right here. It's in this scripture and it's on this page. And they can just look it up. And it's so simple. And then they can teach their kids about it. And when you go to the book, Genesis, it's got one little paragraph and it says this, who's the author? What date was it written? What's the theme? What's the content? And they can get the whole uh, concept of that book just by looking at that very first introduction. So practical application makes all the difference. Now we know what to do with our faith. Faith in God is daily living and that causes our faith to grow. So it's practical teaching. The second thing is what we're going to look at today, and that is personal ministry. Look at the person next to you and say, personal ministry, okay? Because personal ministry will grow your faith. Everyone, everyone is a minister. I may be a pastor, but everyone is a minister. And God has a personal ministry for every person. And sometimes little children... Invite their friends to church, and that's a personal ministry. You get it? See, he gives us all a personal ministry, and we're to use it for him, and our faith grows. And, you know, you're probably saying the first time I served, I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know what I was supposed to do, but I felt this nudge from the Holy Spirit, from God, and I just said, okay, Lord, I'm going to step out. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it. And they served in Jesus' name because that nudge, and they felt like they made a difference for God because they did. So whenever anybody tells their story, here are some of the things they'll say. I was so nervous. I was in over my head. They gave me a lesson and put me in a room with a bunch of children. I didn't know what to do. Those kids knew the Bible better than I did. What was I going to say? I felt so inadequate, so unqualified. I didn't know what would happen, but I just stepped out anyway. Why? Because I felt this nudging from God, and I was willing to be obedient and say yes. Because pushing through our inadequacy in order to say yes to God for the benefit of other people grows our faith. You know, there's no way that you can be ready. Well, Lord, I'm not ready. Well, you're not going to get ready. The only way you get ready is by going to do it, and then you learn on the other side of it, what's it like? So many of you are here today, and you're thinking, I don't have time. I'm scared. I don't have resources. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not educated enough. Whatever it is, and yet I feel God nudging me to do this. When we push through our inadequacy, we experience God's faithfulness and our faith gets bigger. Some of you have been feeling that nudging for a while, but you are resisting. Look at the person next to you and say, everybody resists. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Okay, now I've got to confess I'm a little angry with some of you because you resisted saying that to your neighbor. And I just don't appreciate it, okay? You're going to have to work with me. It's a two-way street, okay? So stick with me because everybody resists. But listen, when we resist, it's not a lack of faith. It's a test of faith. 
Am I going to do it or not? And God is calling us to step out and do it. You know what's in the balance of your decision? What hangs in the balance of your decision is the quality and the strength of your own faith. Because saying yes to God and serving other people is one of the five ways God says that we're going to grow in our faith. In Matthew 14, it says this, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. That was the disciples' solution to things. And Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. What if it had been you? You're standing there. Jesus looks at the thousands of people, and then he looks at you, and he says, you give them something to eat, because he's going to challenge you and me to do things we cannot possibly do on our own. We're going to have to have God's help, the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no way we can accomplish anything on our own, but with him, all things are possible. Now, right after he has this interaction with the disciples, he gets word that John the Baptist, his cousin, his friend, the forerunner who said, hey, the Messiah's coming. He has been executed. And Jesus needs a moment. It's his cousin, and he wants to grieve. And so the scripture says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to be in solitary, a solitary place. He had to get in a boat for him to be in a solitary place because everywhere he went, there were people following him everywhere. That's why he spent so much time in Galilee because he could get out on the boat. He could just be out there by himself and he could commune with God. And in the scripture, it says, hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He's grieving for his cousin. He's a man. He's human. And yet he's God. He's hurting. But when he looks at the people, he has compassion on them. Jesus is never too busy for you or me. He never says, wait just a minute till I finish this and I'll be with you. And the scripture goes on hearing this, the crowds, and, and, and as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, he said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now here, what's he doing? He's saying, you know what? I'm not just going to take care of this by myself. I'm going to let you participate in the solution. I'm going to let you do something with me. It's just like a dad or a mom taking their kid to work with them. Come on and help me. You do something with me. And together, we're going to accomplish this. And so he said, I'm going to let you be part of the solution. And he knows what he's asking them to do 
is impossible, but he's going to teach them something. He's always trying to teach them. He's always trying to stretch their faith to get them closer to him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story. But John adds something here. He says, you give them something to eat. And Jesus knew they were incapable, and Jesus knew he was going to do it. It was a test for them. And Andrew speaks up, and he says, well, Okay, there's this kid in the crowd, and he brought his lunch with him. It's a Long John Silver snack pack. It's got five loaves and two fish, you know, some rolls and some fish. It's not a lot because there's thousands of people here. What's going to happen? I love what he says next. Jesus says, bring them to me. The lunch, whatever it is, well, bring it to me. Just bring it over here, and let's just see what God will do. You want to do something for me, he says, Participate. Get involved. Do something big for the next generation, for your community, for your nation. If you just serve me, you have no idea what I can use you to do. And Jesus says, bring me what you've got. And he's still saying it today. He's looking at you and me every day and he's saying, bring me what you've got. And so they stand there staring at each other and the scripture goes on. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. You see, they don't know what Jesus is going to do, but they know he's Jesus and he's got this. They don't know how, but they trust him. They're walking by faith. They're just going to try to trust. And Jesus gave them the food that they needed, and they gave it to the people who were there. And that's where their active faith intersected with God's faithfulness. And let me tell you something. Their faith grew that day, didn't it? When Jesus performed that miracle, I'm sure they spent the rest of their lives talking about those stories about what Jesus did. Let me tell you about what he did one time. There were thousands of people. They just barely had any food. And he said, we're going to feed them. And you know what he did? And something remarkable happened. The Bible tells us that everybody there, thousands of people, had plenty to eat. They were satisfied, it says. And then... There were 12 baskets full of leftovers left over. And he said to the disciples, go collect the food that's left over. Because there's probably some hungry people somewhere. Maybe we can make use of that as well. You talk about a powerful story. Now, let me ask you a question. What could you do if you were sure that God was with you? What could you accomplish if you took what you had and you trusted God for the rest? And together, you accomplished great things. What would I do if I was confident that God was with me? The disciples said this, I'll do what I can, and I will trust God to do what only he can do. And that's what the walk that builds your faith is all about. That's what he's trying to teach us. Now, let's finish the story. In Matthew, it says this. Immediately, 
Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side where he dismissed the crowd. And Jesus is hoping that the disciples will connect the dots between the lesson of the loaves and the lesson on the lake. Because what it means is it's back to back. You just got to trust me. You just got to do what you can do. And I'm going to do the rest. You don't have to take care of the details. You don't have to take care of the results. You just have to say yes. You just have to be available. And I'll give you everything you need to accomplish anything I call you to do. If you'll trust me. And that's how, that's how the people who did that changed the world. They said yes. And God used them. But the people who said no, we don't see their names anywhere. Nobody remembers them. And at the very end, Jesus stood on another hillside and he had his followers, his disciples there with him. And Jesus hands off the entire enterprise to these few people who've been following him. And in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. He's saying, I've been teaching you. I've been pushing you. I've been challenging you to step out on faith. And now I want you to do something that only you can do and only you can do with my help. Because I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And together we will see what God can accomplish. And what he will do in 2,000 years later, here we are today. And in this place, this is where every follower finds him or herself today. And we have to decide, am I going to really use my faith or am I just going to sit on the sidelines and watch other people use theirs and watch my faith atrophy and weaken and become frail and feeble because you know, if it's not there for you when you need it, if you don't grow it and strengthen it, and you will come up short. The nudge to serve is an opportunity to experience God and to experience Him in a new way, and other people to experience Him because you have taken a step of faith, and you never know everything that hangs in the balance because of something that you were willing to do, something you did. And what happens is when you step out, then the application of your faith and the strength of your faith and the endurance of your faith becomes real to you, and then it strengthens your faith, and you're ready to do something new again. And it may affect the maturity of another person's faith who's watching you. Because personal ministry does two things, okay? First, it positions us to experience God's power in our weakness. And second, it positions us to experience God's faithfulness in response to our acts of faith. And if you want enduring, go-the-distance faith, then you have to say yes, and you can't wait till you're ready because you're not going to know in advance what he's going to ask you to do. You've just got to go do it, and that's where his faithfulness comes in and your faith gets bigger. 
and folks who tell their story say, you know what, I, I just went out there and did what he was calling me to do. And so that's when it happens. You're a believer. You're here today. You're here because somebody invited you or somebody asked you to participate, and they were scared to death. And somewhere in the world today there is a life or a child or a marriage or a grandchild or a faith that will be changed because you stepped up and you said, Lord, I don't have much, but you can have what's in my lunchbox and you take it and make it what you want it to be. Roberta Messner was shopping when an elderly woman approached her. She said, I know that sweet little twang of your voice anywhere in her tiny voice. You're Roberta. You're from the Veterans Hospital. You were on duty the night that my boy died. Her Sammy had passed away on May 16th, 1978. Roberta was in her early 20s at the time. It was just her second month as a nurse in the VA hospital. She telephoned his mother to say that he had taken a turn for the worse. And even though his mother lived way out in the country, she sat out by herself on that West Virginia mountain road to make it to the hospital. It's been 40 years since that happened, Roberta said. I, I can't believe you remember me. In fact, I can't believe that anybody remembers anything I ever did. As I walked to Sammy's room, I didn't know what I was in for, Sammy's mother said. I watched from the doorway as you washed his face and hands, and then you combed his thick, cold, black hair. The light over the bed hit the stripe on your cap in such a way that it looked like a halo. Someone real special is on her way to see you, Sammy, you were telling him, your mama. I don't guess you ever knew that I heard that, she went on. When I go back to that time, I don't think about how sick he was. And I don't think about how he suffered. I think about how sweet you said that one word, Mama, and how pretty he looked when he went to see Jesus. What you and I do really does matter. And there's a story yet to be told about our Heavenly Father looking at you and me and saying, you give me what you got, and I'll put it together with what I have, and you will be amazed at what we can accomplish together. You give them
something to eat. Let us pray. Oh God, I pray that we would be people who not only believe, but people who follow. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's children said,